Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk postgame podcast. The Browns 27 to nothing winners over the Arizona Cardinals here at Cleveland Browns Stadium. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are sitting at Cleveland Browns Stadium. It is about nine o'clock here uh, after the game. So let's go to our old reliable postgame format. We'll each come up with a takeaway. We'll do a final thought at the end uh, as we wrap up what was a pretty easy win for the Browns today as they get ready for a big stretch of games coming up. Mary Kay, why don't you start us off with, uh, with your takeaway today? Yeah, my takeaway is the fact that Deshaun Watson is back, and as long as he doesn't have any further setbacks, it looks like he's poised to bring this thing home. And number four is back. Everybody's so excited about it. Uh, he hit the long ball at least three times today, uh, a 59-yarder to Amari Cooper. Then he also went deep to Marquise Goodwin. Marquise couldn't come down with it as two defenders converged on him. But then in the end, he went back to Amari Cooper on a play that those two drew up in the dirt, and that was a 49-yarder. So that's what stands out to me the most is the fact that he let it rip in this game. And I will say, and you guys saw it all too, there were a number of throws, like at least a half a dozen throws that I saw that really raised my eyebrows. And I thought, what is going on with this shoulder? And I was concerned about it because they were wide, they were low, they were short. And then he fired uh, the go balls and you know he got his confidence back and the team seemed to gain confidence in him. And uh, you know it just seems to me this is something to build on as they head into that huge showdown against the Ravens in Baltimore next week. So I'm trying to figure out what I make of this performance. I mean, statistically, 19 of 30, 219, two touchdowns, a 107.5 rating. On paper, it looked, I mean, that looks awesome, right? And we want a little higher completion percentage, whatever. That's nitpicking. Um, at the same time, you know, the eyeball test, like you said, Mary Kay, especially early in the game, it seemed like he was a little unsure of the shoulder. There were some throws that he missed. But he did also hit those deep balls. I don't know. A part of me just wants to chalk this up as like, hey, your quarterback played four quarters. He started and finished the game, and you've got him now going to Baltimore. Is that – I mean, how do you view this, Ashley? I think that's pretty much it. Like, I think, you know, early on it felt like they were, you know, running a version almost of what they ran against the Seahawks. Like, they were really reliant on, like, screen the screen game and little short passes and running the ball – um, and then I do feel like once he hit that one deep pass to Amari Cooper, like you saw him willing to air it out a little bit more. I think like obviously now the I don't even know if it's fair to call it hesitancy, but like I think it's important to remember that like this is against the Arizona Cardinals and they now have to go on the road and play Baltimore, which obviously Deshaun did not get a chance to face that defensive front last time. That's the game when. He did his pregame workout, and they said, nope, we're, we're going with DTR. 
Um, so that's a big test. And then obviously you have Pittsburgh coming in here after. So like, I think what is most important, like you said, Dan, is the fact that he started and finished the game. I think worst case scenario, besides him getting hurt, worse or something would have been a repeat of the Colts game and him having to leave because he wasn't producing because the shoulder was clearly impacting him. And I think that would have been a huge blow to like his confidence, the team's confidence potentially. So I think it's really great that they avoided that, but the biggest tests are like waiting for them still. Yeah. So the Browns ran the ball 40 times today. They ran it 17 times in the first half compared to 20 uh, pass attempts. So two of those were Deshaun Watson runs, which I I know at least one was a scramble, but um, you know, they did rely on the run game pretty heavily today on the, on the drive that ended with the first Amari touchdown. That was the deflected pass. They either ran or scrambled on 10 of 11 plays up until that final pass play. So they were, kind of relying on the short passing game, relying on the run game a lot today. But, you know, Mary Kay, my post-game column was basically like, and, and a text I sent out a little late, a little earlier before we recorded this was, this was sort of like a sigh of relief game for the Browns. Like, you're better than the Cardinals. You just had to come out here, take care of business. And the biggest thing was making sure that you left this game feeling like you had your starting quarterback for these next two. And especially in hindsight, it's pretty safe to say that putting Deshaun out there in this game was the right thing to do. Because to, now they, they know, they kind of know what he is. If there's limitations, they know him. If he's not comfortable with something right now, they know it. And it's just going to help them this week as they prepare for the Ravens. Yeah, you know what? No one will admit it. No one will say that starting him today against the Cardinals had anything to do with making sure that he got a little bit of a tune-up game before he faces uh, that gauntlet in Baltimore next week and then that Steelers game here. Uh, You're talking about some of the best defenders in the NFL that he's going to face over the next two weeks. And I'm sorry, but he needed this. He really needed to go out there and get a little confidence because, you know, as we have talked about, that's important in this whole thing. Like, he's got to be able to know that he can let it rip and he can air it out and he can complete a pass. And he had some weird passes today. And, uh, you know, I I think it was good to get those out of the way because when he faces Baltimore in Baltimore and it's going to be loud and they're going to be coming after him, now he knows that he can launch that ball 59 yards. And he can launch it 49 yards and 40 yards. He knows that he can do that, and he's got the confidence to do it. What he might not have the confidence to do is, you know, have the exact touch and accuracy on the shorter passes. That's what it seemed like he was struggling with more than anything. But the fact that he got this one out of the way, I mean, let's let's call this what it is. They beat up on a completely overmatched football team. They were one and seven with no running backs and a rookie quarterback in Clayton Toon that was horrible and not ready for this. I mean, it was like watching DTR for the whole game against the Ravens. I mean, it was bad. So, you know, they needed this one. They needed to get this one under their belt and out of the way and give Deshaun Watson a little bit of confidence heading into Baltimore. That would have been a horrible place to try to come back from this injury. Absolutely horrible. All right, Ashley, what's your takeaway here? 
I think my biggest takeaway is going to focus on the defense because obviously a great performance for them to get a shutout win, the first Browns shutout since 2007, which it was funny kind of hearing the reactions around the locker room. Some guys were getting questions about that and had no idea yet that that was even a stat and were really excited. And, you know, when you have a a veteran guy like Shelby Harris who really appreciates the magnitude of shutouts in today's NFL, I think it's special. But, you know, I think today... What was so cool about this win was to see the way the interior D-line really got after things. Um, And, you know, seven sacks for this defense, four and a half came from those defensive tackles on the inside. Dalvin Tomlinson had two and a half by himself. I think it was just really impressive to see those guys bring the pressure and take advantage in a situation where, to build off of like what Mary Kay said, they absolutely should have taken advantage in this situation. And for Dalvin Tomlinson in particular, it's his first multi-sack game in the NFL. Um, I know, Dan, you asked him about when's the last time he had this many, and he's like, I think in high school, I maybe had three and a half in one game. So really good for him individually, and I think those guys have really been putting in the work all year, and you see spurts, and you know, I think in past games, you'd see maybe one interior guy get going, right? Like, Mo Hurst last week with this crazy interception, and he's had a couple of sacks. But this was the first time we really saw them all kind of working and playing complementary football with each other, guys rotating in and out. And they did this in, you know, the first half especially, in minimal snaps. Mo Hurst said when they came in the locker room at halftime, all those guys on the D-line, since they rotate so much, had only played like eight to 10 snaps maximum. So they were feeling really good this game, especially with those rotations. Okay, fun little exercise here. 2007, um, Cam Mitchell was six. Um, let's Oval see. was 12, I know, because I asked him. <laughs> okay, Elijah Moore was seven. Uh, Greg Newsom was seven. Uh, let's see who else on here has, has played here. I know this is a very exciting podcasting. Tony Fields was eight. Uh, Jedrick Wills was eight. We're going to have to talk about Jedrick here in a little bit. Jordan Elliott was 10. The point here, I was a freshman in high school. (laughs) There you go. The point here, Mary Case, 2007 was a long time ago. It really was a long, long time ago. How many years did we add that up? 16. 16 years ago. 16, yeah. My goodness. I mean, I, I had no idea that it had been that long. That is insanity. Time flies when you're having fun it covering really this team, does. right? <laughs> it really, really, really does. Um, but, you know, that that's great for this defense because they do call themselves the best defense in the NFL. And that's what you have to do against a team like this. They outgained, the Browns outgained the Cardinals 326 yards to 58. I mean, this was just a complete and total beatdown. It was at times painful to watch uh, Arizona trying to move the ball. But you know what? Good for the Browns defense. Why not uh, come away from this one feeling really good about themselves before they have to go try to figure out how to solve Lamar Jackson and the Ravens on the road, on the road in Baltimore, they're playing really well. They're seven and two right now. It's a big showdown. It's a very, very big, important game. Uh, at this point, I would say the biggest game of the season for them, and um, it's just huge. So the defense, uh, they padded their stats. They got those seven sacks. All the dogs ate. Uh, they spread it around. Everybody got to have a little bit of fun. Interceptions by Denzel, Sione Takitaki. 
and uh, it was just a, a feel-good game for that defense. And, you know, there, so there was a, a play, one of Dalvin Tomlinson's sacks, and so this was a game like Miles Garrett didn't have, like, you know, one of those classic Miles Garrett games, but I, there was a sack that Dalvin had today when Miles Garrett came ripping around the edge, and you could see Clayton Toon was kind of gearing up to throw the ball, and if you watch, you see the ball sort of like he pulls it down to his side because he can sense Miles Garrett behind him, and the next thing he knows, Dalvin Tomlinson is eating him up. Ashley, this is the design. This is when they signed all these guys and put them all together. This is what they envisioned. The edges, you know, just crashing and collapsing the pocket. And then all the quarterback steps up into those defensive tackles. That's why you want to have those dominant pass rushing defensive tackles so that when your edges collapse, the quarterback's got nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all about how they viewed this group could play really well together. And I think that's like an underrated part. And we see how these guys interact with one another, too. They genuinely seem to like each other. And I think that's important because I don't think I felt well, I know I know I didn't feel the same thing last year. And that interior D-line was like a huge point of strife on this defense last year. So much was getting through it. And they completely rebuilt it. Jordan Elliott's the only holdover. But, you know, again, to go back to Shelby Harris, a guy who's a vet in this league, one of the most veteran guys on that unit, he's like, this might be the best team. And he, like, emphasized it, you know, not in terms of saying, like, wins or losses or X's and O's, but the best, like, melding of personalities that he's ever seen. And I think that's key when you talk about the X's and O's side because these guys just play so unselfishly. And, like, yeah, the D-tackles hadn't necessarily racked up the sacks yet to this point. And a lot of what they had been doing was sort of complimentary to Miles Garrett, where it was allowing him to get to quarterbacks as much as he had. And I think we they needed some other guys to get going, and I think they needed a game like this. But this is definitely, like, why you go out and pay Dalvin Tomlinson over $50 million dollars when they had never play, paid a singular D-tackle that kind of money before in this regime. By the way, we speaking of what you were just saying, we, we got to overhear them plan their outfits for next week. I, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, I will say this is not what they chose, but the word, thr- the word thrift store was thrown around. They, they decided to go a different route. I am a big thrift store guy. Do you guys like thrift stores? No. No? <laughs> no. Oh. no, we like Aritzia, <laughs> Ex- Express, Abercrombie. Abercrombie, and a few others. So... Both, the way Mary and I looked at each other, and my first thought was, I just like, I don't, I don't know, like the smells of thrift stores, like, and like, I get it. I have friends who like to thrift, but like, I personally just can't like do it. And I'm also tall. Like you have to think about how, That's fair. how we are built. I am 5'11". Mary Kay has a hard enough time finding petite clothes at like loft at Crocker Park. So I think both of us, our sizing limitations really are geared toward us online shopping and in my case i'll speak only for myself maybe sometimes an excessive amount there are times when mary Kay and ashley look at me like i have just (laughs) come off some alien ship but we (laughs) sort of feel like you should know us a little bit better by now and to ask us if we liked thrift stores dan come on i know 
I know. That's my fault. <laughs> oh, this is off the rails officially. I never... The way we looked at each other is just burned in my brain. And that's like the second funniest thing that happened to us today. Because the first funniest thing was getting on the wrong elevator for post-game. And we were late. And the doors opened and I said it was like the Kentucky Derby. Because Mary Kay was out of the stall. And she started running and I'm like... I have no excuse. I have to run too because I didn't even wear heels today. So I, we sprinted through the corridors of Cleveland Brown Stadium and we made it. And what do I see? But a line with everyone waiting to get in the locker room. And Mary Kay went to the press conference. I don't think you missed anything. Maybe no, I didn't. But are talking, are but you getting we, pretty used to seeing me just absolutely oh, fly yeah. in she heels? She was flying. She was flying. And then I think I passed you up at one point and I felt kind of bad. But I was like, I don't know if Dan's alone. I have to just, I have to keep going. And I, I ran and I was like, oh my gosh. I like, I was doubled over. It was bad. I don't, I'm not a runner like Dan is anymore. My cardio comes from the Peloton. So it was a, it was a journey. Well, I was in four inch heels. Yeah, Mary so. Kay was in four. It's like, the, I'm, it's okay that you passed me. I know. In it was, and I'm, I have a longer stride. Like I would hope it would be a problem if I wasn't passing. She needed to up. pass me because she's younger than me. So no, it's also just the 511 of it all. It's like when I walk with my mom and she gets mad at me and it's like, well, the, the legs, the, the stride is longer naturally. I'm going to work on it. This is what happens when I bring up thrift stores. I know. I don't okay. Know got here. My, my takeaway is this. It's actually a question. It's something we talked about on the video. I have two takeaways, but I'll save mine for my final thought here, uh, which is really just kind of another way of saying takeaways. Um, should the Browns just make Dewan Jones their left tackle, Mary Kay? Because obviously Jedrick Wills carted off today. We don't know the extent of the injury right now, like I said, about 9 o'clock on Sunday night. I, it's safe to assume when you see something like that, a guy carted off in an air cast that, that his season is probably over. Uh, you hope that we're reading that wrong and maybe by some miracle it's a few games or something like that. But it obviously didn't look good. So if Jedrick Wills is done for the season, is there merit to thinking about moving Dewan Jones to left tackle? Well, there is some merit to it, and I think it's definitely worth considering. What you don't want to do is sort of weak in two positions. So if Dewan Jones is really comfortable and at home at right tackle and he's really got his mojo down there, then you might want him to just stay there and play to his strengths because there's not as much difference nowadays as there used to be in terms of left tackle versus right tackle. A lot of times the right tackle uh, you know, has as much of a responsibility to keep the quarterback safe and upright as the left tackle does. So I think it's something that they're going to have to look at and they're going to have to think about. Uh, it's definitely something that they could ponder doing, uh, but, you know, I don't think it's, you know, something that they absolutely have to do. It's worth a discussion, and I would be interested myself in hearing the pros and cons of it. But my first thought is, you know, do you want to kind of upset the apple cart on both sides? The unfortunate thing, and I said this on our video, is it now looks like they lost their right tackle for the season and their left tackle for the season. And that's really unfortunate. When you look at a season before it begins and you wonder who's going to be left standing at the end, I just really didn't envision that they would be without their two starting tackles. And you do start to worry that, 
you're like an injury away now from being really in trouble on that offensive line. You know, that that's certainly in play here. So I'll, I, I would certainly entertain the idea, but I'll, I'll lay out some cons here as to why I don't think they will. And I think it's part of what you're getting at, Mary Kay. Is, you know, do you want to weaken right tackle too and move to one to left? But also this team thinks very big picture, right? And Jed Wills is guaranteed for next year with the injury, without his money is guaranteed next year. The plan was for him, as far as I know, to be left tackle again next year. And if he's back and able to return, I'd imagine they'd want to do that. Whereas with Jack Conklin gone now, it almost feels like maybe that was going to be DeWan Jones's job next season. Um, So maybe, Ashley, they look at this like, Jed is our right tackle now and our right tackle next year. So let's not mess with it. Let's keep him there. Let's let him keep getting better. And we'll figure out left tackle. I think it now, for me, when we look at it like that, it ultimately kind of depends on whatever Jed's injury prognosis ends up being and how quickly they think he can come back. And I think now with these injuries, you know, when we see guys – We've seen it on this team, even with a guy like Sione Takitaki. When these guys tear ligaments now, it's not like the old knee surgeries of even like 10 or 15 years ago. They can come back a lot quicker now. But still, I think so much of it with season-ending injuries is unpredictable. So I think like when you're looking at his timeline to return, it's like, I don't know, that might get kind of hard because maybe he will need a left tackle for next year. And I think, I don't know how how much that will ultimately play into it because it is so unpredictable. But, you know, I don't, I, I get the cons for it, but ultimately because of that, if it does happen, like I won't be that shocked, nor do I think it would be the worst thing in the world because like we know from when Dewan talked to Mary Gay, like he would love to be a left tackle ultimately. So maybe this is just how it's going to go. And no one thought it would go like this because like you said, that money to Jed is guaranteed regardless next year. But what if Jed Wills can't come back till November of next year? You know, I think that's in play here, too, right now, based on what we saw today. Yeah, so an interesting decision here. Um, we'll, we'll have Kevin on Zoom tomorrow uh, on Monday, so uh, maybe, maybe he'll address that. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, look, you hope for the best for Jed. But, again, that, that just didn't look good, uh, him getting carted off the field today uh, after he had actually come back from another injury earlier in the game. So uh, a tough situation there for all involved. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll run through our final thoughts following the Browns' 27 to nothing win over the Arizona Cardinals. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, Ashley Bastock. All right, final thoughts time. Who wants to go first? I'll go. My final thought is all about going into Baltimore next week. My goodness, this is a big game. The Baltimore Ravens, I don't know the score off the top of my head, but they beat the Seahawks today. I think it was a pretty large I'm, I'm looking it up now. They, they blew them out. So they are on a roll, okay? I mean, we know what a close game it was between – you know, the Seahawks and the Browns. Of course, that was P.J. Walker. Um, But here go the Browns marching into Baltimore with their leader back in number four, going up against a new and improved Lamar Jackson. The last time the Browns faced these Baltimore Ravens, uh, they had rookie Dorian Thompson Robinson starting. So now it's prove-it time for the Cleveland Browns and the best defense in the land 
what do they have against Lamar Jackson? They are going to be playing with their hair on fire. Uh, this whole team is going to be so fired up for this game. Uh, it, it's enormous. It's huge. I mean, if they really want, uh, you know, to have a chance at still winning the division, then they have to win this game. They really need to win this game. Uh, and, of course, the playoffs are at stake, too, because it's going to be a dogfight in, in the AFC North all the way until the end. Uh, so that that's my reigning thought is going into Baltimore and trying to win that game and even the series at one and one. The Ravens schedule is really tough. I'm looking at it now. But the last three games for Baltimore, 38 to six over a very good Lions team. 31-24 against this Cardinals team, but that game was not that close. The Cardinals got an onside kick late in that game. Um, and then today, 37-3 to over the Seahawks. How about this? The Ravens, after they play the Browns, they play the Bengals on Thursday night. Um, so two big weeks coming up here in the AFC North for sure. We don't use the word must win on this podcast. We don't put those kind of stakes <laughs> on a game that doesn't carry those stakes. But Ashley... If the Browns go 0-2 in these division games, where are we at with this season? I can't quickly do the math in the <laughs> division standings. You'd be five, you'd be five and five after but that. It would not be good. Like they're already third in the division right now because the Steelers hold the tiebreakers over them. I don't know what's going on in the Bengals game currently, but the Browns obviously have the tiebreaker over them. But this division is so tight. The Ravens are seven and two. Both the Browns are five and three right now. The Bengals are five and three heading into this game that they're currently playing um, that's not on the TV in here, so I don't know what's happening in. But I do just think, like, once again, the AFC North is going to be knocked down, drag out, drag... Is that is that a phrase? Am I yeah. This? Okay, yep. That's what it's going to be. It's as close, I think, as we all anticipated. And it's a tough test. It's as tough as they come. I think, like, obviously it's great that they're at home for one of those games, but... Playing in Baltimore is a super tough environment and has been for this team in recent years. A couple of close losses there the last two years. So it will be, you know, pretty bleak, but still with how close the standings are, it's like, who knows? But these games are just so important because they count for double, basically. So the Bengals play the Texans next week, and then they play at Baltimore in that Thursday night game, and then they host the Steelers the next week. So it's really kind of this three-week run here in the AFC North. I think we're going to start to maybe get some clarity um, as, as these teams face each other. Uh, okay, Ashley, what's your final thought here? I was just going to go with something kind of quick. I don't know how much there is to discuss, but <laughs> Corey Bohorquist is a really good <laughs> punter. Like, I just keep thinking about the fact that he pinned them back at the one today to start the second half after, you know, the Browns fizzled out. It was just a three and out for that drive for them. But it was really cool to kind of hear the defensive guys talk about that. And I think Dalvin Tomlinson is the one who said there's no better feeling in the NFL than going out there as a defense and having the team pin back at the one from the start. And like, you just want that safety so bad and the crowd's going nuts and, I just think it kind of adds to this is a guy who they they went out, they got him last year. He was basically in a punting battle with Joseph Charlton, who they brought back this year to just kind of, you know, kick and, and work out with him and stuff during uh, training camp. But he's almost kind of like revitalized his career here. He had this reputation after being in Green Bay as like a bad holder. I don't clearly think he's been okay <laughs> so far. I know even Cade York last year said Corey was never the problem. So he's kind of fixed that. He's been punting really well. This team raves about him. He's doing some good things. So yeah, just the Corey Bohorquez corner. 
over the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's funny how the new kicker, all of a sudden, Corey Bohorquez is a good holder. Maybe. Maybe that wasn't really a, a thing to, to well, begin Kate, with. That's what I'm know. saying. Cade, Cade always said, yeah. too, it was never Corey. It was just this this narrative that came out of Green Bay and, and Buffalo, I think, to some extent when he was there, that that had been what you know, fans and stuff were, were critical of for him. But even, even, and I know fans here kind of got on that train, but Cade was always like, no, nothing is ever wrong with our operation. So yeah, it is good that that narrative kind of gets put to bed now, maybe. <laughs> okay. Mine is just, it's a running theme. It's something that is just always, I think after every game, I think we've talked about it in post-game pods, but again, I do wonder if this is something that's going to rear its ugly head next week. And now with Donovan Peoples-Jones gone, I still don't know about this receiving core outside of Amari Cooper. He was great again today. Typical Amari Cooper game. Had that deflection catch. Uh, had 139 receiving yards uh, on five catches. Uh, but your second leading receiver today was Jerome Ford, five for 33. Uh, David Njoku did get in the end zone. He also had a drop, uh, four for 26. Elijah Moore, two for 14. Sed Tillman, one for three. Marquise Goodwin, they keep trying to get him the ball down the field. It hasn't worked, and now he's going to be in the concussion protocol. I don't know. I'm still I'm still nervous about this receiving core after Amari Cooper. Now, the good news, Mary Kay, is Amari Cooper's really good, and it, does, it seems to not matter even if you double-team him, like today, for example. Uh, but I do wonder when you start playing good defenses, and like they're not going to have to deal with like Louie and Arumo until the end of the season, but there's – they're going to be playing some good defenses and some smart defensive coaches who can try to take Amari Cooper away. And I wonder how that's going to affect the rest of this receiving core. Well, when you look at the last couple of years, you know, DPJ, and you look back at DPJ last year, and he had almost a thousand yards last year. So when you look at this receiving core, you're right. Uh, there really isn't anyone who has completely stepped up in the way that they need someone else to over, you know, the course of this season. And I still think that they should have brought in another really good Pro Bowl caliber receiver at the trade deadline somehow. Now, they don't grow on trees, and they're just not sitting around uh, waiting to be traded for. Uh, but I do think that there is, an, you know, potentially an issue here. Because if you do take Amari out of the game, then... Um, you know, then you really are starting to get down uh, to really smoke and mirror sometimes in the passing game. I mean, David Njoku is starting to really pick it up, and I think that he is considered to be almost just a big receiver uh, in this offense. But, um, you know, Elijah Moore, I mean, I'm sure Elijah will have a, a much better uh, second half of the season down the stretch. But, you know, Tillman, he's new, and they want him to step up and get his feet wet. Uh, but I think it's going to have to really come down to Amari and David Njoku. And I don't know for sure that, that, is, um, that that's going to be enough to get the job done. We're watching a photo shoot right now on the field. Someone is down there, like, getting into a three-point stance and, like, having their, their picture taken <laughs> off. And the, the police will probably be here in about a half an hour and haul them off. <laughs> they aren't driving They aren't driving a, a pickup truck or right? <laughs> donuts on the One field. One step so. above last season. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Ashley, I do wonder, like, are we going to look back on this and wonder, like, why did they subtract from that room at the deadline instead of adding to it? Maybe. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been with you on this train of, 
thought for a while. Like, I mean, it, it just seems, once again, this was the conversation we always had last year, and I think for part of this year, um, that this room has kind of felt like a veteran receiver short at times, like somebody that could take on a bigger chunk of the targets and workload. And I definitely think it's a possibility. I mean, thank God Amari Cooper has been playing as well as he has been, especially this afternoon and catching all the targets that came his way and um, things like that. But I do wonder, you know, Marquise Donovan's obviously gone. Marquise Goodwin, like you said, concussion protocol. David Bell, who's been another guy who they talked about as possibly being in line for some of those targets that Donovan leaves behind. Um, he was hurt this week. He wasn't active for this game. So I do wonder, it's like, at what point does somebody step up or do they, you know, are they going to be a receiver short? I think it's a legitimate question. Okay. Well, there we go. We ended that on a real downer. Browns 27 to nothing winners uh, over the Arizona Cardinals here at Cleveland Browns Stadium. They are five and three. Look, this is where you want to be, especially when you didn't have your starting quarterback for four games there for the most part. Uh, so they're five and three as they head to Baltimore and then they host Pittsburgh over the next two weeks. Uh, the AFC North going to start to take shape here over the next three weeks of the season. Uh, find us on uh, Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com there. And subscribe to become a football insider. Subscribe at cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 